one of the things that I really appreciated from this show, and it wasn't even an episode that I was on, mm. but when you and Michelle interviewed John Peckham and he was sitting in this seat, yeah. um, you know, over the course of this year, between listening to that and also some of like my own reading in the Bible, my understanding of like what in Adventist lingo we call great controversy, mind-blowingly, like suddenly it feels more well-rounded, more real, mm. more like an actual workable theory. Welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast curated for curious faith discussions. This week, we are saying see you next year as we wrap up this season and get ready to relaunch a new year of insightful and educational theological material. Today, we are recapping on the highlights of a successful launch year, and unfortunately, we'll also be saying goodbye to our early adopter co-host, Max Aka. For everyone who has been a faithful listener, we just want to say thank you and stay tuned because next year we are bringing more awesome episodes on topics of faith and politics, what it means to be a cohabitor on this planet, a Christian's environmental duties, along with bringing back some fan favorites like John Peckham. You do not want to miss our upcoming lineup. If you'd like a chance to catch up on some of the old episodes, now is the time to do it. And you can find them on Spotify, iTunes, or Apple Podcast at AdventNext. Or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at the handle at AdventNext. Today, we're doing a behind the scenes. Yep. It is just me and Max today. It's just us. It's just us. Because one, I think people need to know who we are. Mm-hmm. And um, two, unfortunately, we're, we're finding out who you are right as you're leaving. As you get rid of me. <laughs> it's great. Or as I rid myself from this place. I don't even know if that's the right way to put it. But, you know. Oh, man. You're still going to be working with I Believe Bible, which mm-hmm. is in town. But... You physically will be gone. Working remotely, all of that good stuff. So if we can snag you every once in a while if you're in town, we probably will. But we won't see Max as regularly anymore. And Sad. So, and you just finished your MDiv program. Mm-hmm. Relatively so, speaking. How are you feeling? It's good. I mean, like, I, I enjoy school if in, this, in the sense that I enjoy learning and I enjoy studying. But I also really enjoy having more control over my time. Yes. So ever since being done... With my program, I've been, I don't know, I feel freer. So this year, you've been on several podcasts. Yes. What have you liked? Like, what's been like your favorite podcast so far? Because mm. we're wrapping up, everybody. Oh, I forgot to tell you guys. So this is the last podcast of the year. Yep. Um, and so you only have a couple weeks until 2020. And I can't believe we're saying 2020. I mean, right. I feel like everyone has all these initiatives, these 2020 initiatives that are supposed to come to fruition next year. So yep. You'll see us back in January, but this is a uh, goodbye for now. Yep. But yeah, tell us, like, as we recap, this has been a crazy year. Man, as far as like Advent Next episodes go, I was on a bunch of them. And I think highlights for me would be one, when we had um, Oswald on here talking about like the uh, the NLT and also about like, was it the second part of that episode was about like Old Testament? Yeah, Old yeah, Testament. Yeah, among like myths and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. That was really cool, I thought, because we got to like break out of the Adventist bubble a little bit. Yeah. Is, isn't he like the only non-Adventist we've had on the show or? Unfortunately, yes, he is. Okay. We have some people who've been to non-Adventist colleges, but sure. that's, that doesn't. Myself included. Exactly. But like, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, one of these days we might be able to. Um, we need to branch out because there's yeah. so many, I mean, great theological conversations happening yeah. that we need to be able to pull from. I think that there's like so much of a wealth of conversations that can happen. Like my background being like I went to a multi-denominational school for my undergrad. Yeah. And that was enriching in the sense that like even if someone disagreed with 
your point, they disagreed with it more eloquently and more thoughtfully than you'd ever had it before. Yeah. And your your stereotypes get broken down mm-hmm. and your assumptions get broken down. And you realize sometimes that you have to like remake and kind of reframe and rebuild your assumptions from the ground up or at least your argument for something because you're like, oh yeah, that wasn't good. Mm. Like that wasn't solid. I need to like get back to the bottom of it and like start over. So that's, uh, I think that's a huge benefit when we have dialogue across theological lines. That's so true. And reframe. You just dropped that. I did drop that. I was like, am I going to do it? Am I going to say it or what? But I'm going here to we are. reframe the argument because this is a new project they're going to be working on in 2020. Yep. Uh, tell us a little bit about reframe. So reframe, essentially, if you are the kind of person who keeps like track of all the stuff that happens in the studio, obviously, you know, I work on I Believe. Maybe some of the viewers know that. But um, with, I believe, our goal is to kind of aim it at a, a like late teen, young adult type of demographic. Yeah. And the format we've been using, I think, has worked for a certain group of people, but the appeal is fairly narrow, mm-hmm. I think. It's, it's a very specific niche group. And so we're wanting to develop content that hits different demographics yeah. and particularly stuff that would work well on YouTube. So getting more into that YouTuber and video essay type of yeah. format. Will you be this presenter? Yeah, it, I'll be. <laughs> I, I, I made a lot of suggestions of being like, you know, I could write, but it should be someone else. But I was like, okay, No, whatever. I think you're going to be perfect for it. I think you definitely encapsulate kind of the younger generation. And it's so funny because I, I've said this to you before, but you're... <laughs> I don't know how this is going to come off, but Do it. you're more theological or, or more orthodox than you appear. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, like, right, right. Like right. You, you have the clickbait, right? You have the edge to you. Sure. But- I don't even think I'm that edgy, <laughs> but like, I guess that depends who's looking, right? Right, right. I mean, when you look at like your band that you're in and the colorful, awesome T-shirts that you wear... You know, people yeah. will assume like, oh, it's this guy, he's a, he's a metalhead and he's just kind right. of out there. But like, you're like really thoughtful and theological. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I try. What I want to be able to do with some of the content we're going to be working on is to say like, okay, let's, uh, let's reframe some of these big issues, like kind of like the foundational worldview issues yeah. of what is Christianity, what's the Bible, and like put it in a way that's like comprehensible and clear and maybe dispels some misinformation too. Yeah, and I think we, we have some jokes about this and I think you're gonna have some funny uh, takes because we talked about like how even, you know, sometimes we try and take something from the Bible and we don't consider context. Yeah. And one of that is like, oh, let's look at the story of Ruth for biblical dating right. <laughs> principles. Just like the number of times I've seen people talking about whether like there's the joke version of it and then there's the times when people are taking it very seriously yeah. where they're like, you know, ladies, like you got to find your Boaz or like, yeah. here's the tricks to finding your Boaz. Yeah, it's like, it's really strange to me when people take certain um, biblical episodes and try to forcibly interpret them in a way that they're really not meant to be. Right, because if it was literal, step one would be... Your husband is dead. <laughs> Like, it's just like, okay, right. how to find your husband. Step one, he died. Yeah. Like, and you're a widow now. <laughs> it's like Ruth starts in like this, this context of tragic loss yeah. and like uh, famine and immigration crisis and a bunch of family members dying. And 
Two, go find a man and sleep by his feet and... Sneak into your <laughs> boss's uh, <laughs> office at night and uncover his feet and sleep there. Wait till he wakes up and then immediately propose marriage as you climb into bed with him. Like, what? Like, this story is nuts. Yeah. But um, again, yeah, people like to take things and just run with them. Yeah. And, I, you know, for a long time, that's kind of what I thought. I was like, oh, yeah, stories like... Ruth and Esther. One, that's for girls. Two, it's about how to get married. Hmm. Neither of those stories really tell you a, a great way to approach romantic relationships that would work today at all. Right. Um, but, you know, here we are making assumptions. But, like, yeah. now I would say, like, having read in context and, like, understanding what the story does and how it works, like... Ruth is one of my favorite books of the Bible now, mm. which I never thought I would say. Yeah. But I, I constantly find myself going back to it and being like, this is the coolest thing. Right. Like God's plan is so all-encompassing and nuanced and detailed. And yeah, I don't know. And it's so interesting because we, we, we talked about this a couple of days ago, but like, and I hope I'm not stealing too much content from no, what no, you're no, no. talking you're about. You're fine. Um, but the, the, the context of Ruth is that they're during the time of judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing kind of like this, uh, you know, subjective kind of form of morality that's happening there. What's it called? Um, uh, situational ethics happening, sure. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And God is so situational in how he applies his ethics, but sometimes we think God is so just one way and everything applies in every situation. There's no bend to that rule. Right. But practically, we don't really see that happening. You see a lot of really interesting ways that God kind of accommodates people, mm. and it's, it doesn't necessarily always rise to the level of, like, approval, mm. but there's, there's just a lot of leeway that he gives things, and at certain times, it would seem that, like, the best interpretation is that God allowed for certain things to happen that weren't really up to his ideal, but he was like, these humans, they're crazy. I've got to work with what I can work with here. And like, I can't get them to this next part where I'd really like them to be. So I got to work with them where they're at. Yeah. And I think the more nuanced way of approaching the Bible is more relatable, yeah. is more human. It And it feels more like the lives we live today. It's like, oh, wait, like I go through this. Like yeah. I totally relate to can't find a job or like, mm. this is the daily grind. I just got to like make sure my boss is happy or right. like this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. family loyalty, yeah. all of that, uh, national identity, mm. all these issues, they're in there. And if we take a break from just allegorizing things arbitrarily, we might actually right. like get something. So find the, find the principles behind it. reminds me. So there is a podcast that has not been released. There's about four episodes. Okay. They're like, they are two guest speakers and they're two parts each. And I didn't want to release one of them because we had just talked about women in ordination. And then this other one was talking a little bit about the article that they wrote in this book. So I was like, maybe we should wait a little while before okay. we drop this. But it was Darius Yankovic. And uh -huh. he, he talks in his class about, um, the progression of ethics uh, mm. from the biblical perspective. Yes. You know, you have biblical ethics, you know, where God is trying to bring people out of their context and give them a higher standard, but it's not quite where his ultimate ethic is. Right. And so we see a lot of things in the Bible where it's like, okay, like to our standard and to our eyes today, we're like, wow, this was really backwards. But mm. to them at that time, that was very progressive. Right. And But this wasn't where God ends. And right. so if you just say, well, we have to go back to the Bible to get our ethics, then you're going to be stuck someplace in, in the past where he didn't want to leave us. Right. He has an ultimate place where he's trying to take us to. It's really fascinating because I believe just did a video 
it got some really interesting responses. Okay. And it was a, a video called Social Justice Warrior. Okay. To those of you who are listening or watching, you can uh, check that out. Maybe we can like put a link somewhere. For sure. But um, that video made the claim that the Bible cares about justice. Mm. And we had comments come in from, I mean, our, I guess our ads happened to pick up a bunch of like more atheistically minded people. Mm. And they're saying like, have you guys read the Bible? There's all these horrifying unjust laws that God gave these people. And I'm like, I think you're not entirely wrong. Right. Like I, from my perspective, I can also look at some of the things in the Bible and say like, wow, yikes, I don't think that that's how we should run society today, mm. but that's not what this book is for. That's not what Leviticus is for. That's not what Deuteronomy is for. Yeah. Like Israel had this moment in time and place where they were living by some principles that I think still hold and still stand, but also ones that were very specific to the world they lived in mm. and specific to kind of what you were saying the prevailing attitudes about justice that they had in their world. Mm. Like, I can't remember who I recently heard say this, but essentially you have, like, a culture in that time and place where most people's assumption were, like, if you if you steal my lunch, I'll stab you in the face type of thing, where it's, right. like, re retribution is always, like, cataclysmically more severe than the offense that was committed against you. Right. Like, right? Uh, uh, was it not Lamech? Who's that guy? Uh, who's like, oh, you know, if you oh, yeah. kill me, I will. Isn't it? Is that his name? Is, is Lamech? Lamech? Yeah. Lamech, yeah. whichever. Something like that where he has the three wives and he makes that proclaim. Like you have Cain who is, has that curse upon him saying nobody can touch him. And yeah, yeah, like, yeah. He'll be avenged sevenfold. Yeah. And he's like, well, 70 times seven. And he just killed a man because yeah. he had taken that. You know, to say, well, if you touch me, then I have my retribution is 70 times. Yeah, I'm wow. just going to go way overboard. Yeah. And so, and like, that's a real human impulse to be like, oh, you, you slap me, I kill you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's completely disproportionate. So you get to the Old Testament and you get to a thing that's just like eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And you're like, oh, that sounds just like, take vengeance whenever you want mm. when really it's God saying you guys have this attitude that's just like so disproportionate and so out of whack yeah let's get to a place where we're like okay if you're taking vengeance it's not my ideal vengeance isn't great it's not the Jedi way but <laughs> uh you know you should do what's proportionate to what was done for you and not more than that and then by the time you get to Jesus he's like I know you heard eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but I'm telling you, love your enemy. Mm. And so there's this progression throughout the biblical story where, yeah, there are things that like we shouldn't run society with today. There are laws there that like don't really apply, not just because like, oh, well, that's old, but because God was like those laws were part of a journey that God was taking humanity on that involved growth and responsibility mm. and like Progression all of, of that. understanding. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I love that example too, because if we take the Bible as a narrative for how God is growing our empathies and our sense of justice, and because what's interesting is that when we end up you know, in the thousand year millennium, you know, it says well, we are to be judging, we're to be judges. Right. And so in order to be good judges, we have to understand how, you know, what is just. And we have this entire narrative kind of showing like, well, how did eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth work out? You right. know, is this something that I really want to follow? Or is there something that would be more humane, more, uh, have better results in the end, really get me to where I'm trying to go rather than just something so 
I don't know. I don't say brute, but like. Right. No, brute. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty rough. It's pretty brutal. But like we've talked about that so much, like framing the Bible that way, Mm. that people think, oh, so if I just open the Bible to any page, whatever I read is automatically what all the Christians around me think we should do right now. Right. And because of that, I think that there are so many people who have secular or agnostic or atheistic beliefs who really honestly probably should because they're like, oh, if they think that these laws about like, Mm. you know, like how to treat people in war or whatever. Yeah. Like if they, if this is what they actually think the world should be run like, then yeah, I, I'll pass on that. Yeah. And I think that that's probably a legitimate decision in many cases if, mm-hmm. if, you know, if that's kind of the framework they have for it. So And it hurts me to see like a wrong picture of God painted, yep. you know, and I think that it, it's hard because sometimes the stuff that gets pushed to the surface are some of the r- more radical views and the yeah. more polarizing statements that happen. And you go, see, that that's that's Christianity. There's, yeah. Whether it's Christianity extravagance and I'm buying these airplanes and I have all of this fame or whatever, right. um, or if it's just something that's very uh, oppressive in its viewpoints, mm-hmm. like that gets pushed to the forefront. We don't get the more nuanced picture of who God is in his face. Right. It's so strange because you never... Like, even I only recently really appreciated that part of Jesus's preaching in Matthew where he's like, he's literally like looking at flowers and he's just like, you know, be like one of the, like, you know, like God will make you like a flower Mm. and you'll be dressed so nicely. And he's just like looking at how pretty nature is and just being like, you know, enjoy life and be happy and appreciate the good things that you have and trust God. And like, you don't ever see that Jesus like, disgust among people, Mm. right? You see like the most polarizing and the most aggressive things that you can find in the Bible and be like, oh, this is the main point. It's like, no, that's not the main point. Like that, that's a thing that happened. That's a thing that was said. It's not, it's not the end of the story, so to speak. But again, we, we've done so much to try to turn it into a textbook Mm. or like a reference, like this academic thing where you can just open any page and like the correct answer is there on your first read. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 you have to follow where the story takes you in order to understand it. But And I think what I've appreciated this year, even just having some of the guests that have been on, is helping to understand like there is a place for having professionals expound the Bible. Right. You know, and I think that we've gotten into the culture of like we can all read now and mm-hmm. and and I think the ethic of Protestantism was for everyone to know God for themselves and we have access to the Bible. And I think that's fantastic, Mm -hmm. but there's also things that are hard to understand. And even though the collective knowledge of everyone, I think is good, it kind of brings everything up uh, to a higher level, Mm -hmm. but there's still that place for a professional exposition of the text where you're really considering context, you're really considering background, you're really looking at the language and uh, not everything is so surface. Even though some things, you know, if, if you are a plow boy, you know, right. uh, you can understand all the fundamentals of what it means to make it to heaven. Thank you, Tyndale. <laughs> yes. Yeah. For example, I think one of the things that I really appreciated from this show, and it wasn't even an episode that I was on, mm. but when you and Michelle interviewed John Peckham and he mm. was sitting in this seat, yeah. um, you know, over the course of this year, between listening to that and also some of like my own reading in the Bible and then like listening to the podcasts and videos that the Bible Project put out, mm. my understanding of like what in Adventist lingo we call great controversy, but like cosmic conflict and the divine council and like the supernatural realm, angels, demons, all of that stuff. 
to me, like I always at least mentally assented to the idea of like, I guess I believe in that. And to an extent, like I, I think to a very real extent, like I believe in the supernatural and I, I think I've had some encounters here and there with like the worst side of it. Yeah. But like I, it was all very cartoonish in my head. Mm. You know, it was, it was a little silly. Yeah. It was it was a little on the caricature side. Right. And now understanding the things I do and having read the things, especially I was missing a lot of the Old Testament part of it and not really knowing what to do with Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. Mm. And I'd not ever taken seriously Psalm 82. And like all of these things, mind-blowingly, like suddenly it feels more well-rounded, more real, mm. more like an actual workable theory. Whereas before, I, you know, kind of secretly inside of me, I was kind of like, you yeah, know, Adventists, we have this whole great controversy thing and it's a nice way to put it, but I kind of feel like we're forcing it sometimes. Mm. And now when I look at it, I'm just like, oh my goodness, this is like such a huge part yeah. of what's going on in the biblical story. Wow. And so, you know, that's like, you know, ongoing learning and just, it's not even like, because I knew about all of those, except for Psalm 82, I knew about like all the big passages we would use, Job, like the first three chapters of that and mm -hmm. Ephesians and whatever. But like it had never crystallized and like come together in a way where like the lights just came on. Mm. And I think that that's the incredible thing with context is if you just get like the right information, the right yeah. little pieces that fit everything together, mm. all of a sudden like the text comes alive, all of a sudden you can like read into it and see like, oh, here's where I fit. Yeah. And for me to be at a place where like, I've got my masters of divinity now, whatever that's supposed to mean. Right. And for me to st still be in this place where I'm just like, words are jumping off the page and blowing my mind in ways that I thought I was supposed to be familiar with already. Yeah. And yet I'd like the learning process just goes on and on and on. One thing I loved about the, the episode we did with Peckham is, um, the part about prayer, mm. you know, because a lot of times I think that's been one of my ongoing things with the Lord, which has been like, you know what I'm thinking, you know how I'm feeling, you know what I need. Right. Why am I having to pray about this to you? Right. Like, like what, what is the purpose of prayer mm -hmm. in that sense? But to really understand that in the context of the great controversy, that we are in a place where, um, you know, legally, mm -hmm. you know, God has the right to act because of prayer, it says, you know, if my people call upon me, I will answer them. Right. But that there might be some legal, you know, I'm going to say legal clauses right. uh, that keep him from being able to intervene because Satan is the prince of this world. Right. And so God has to act within the bounds of what is lawful. I mean, everything he does is so lawful. He's a God of order. He's a God of law. Mm -hmm. And like this prayer is like a loophole. Right. And that for me, that made me think, Lord, help me to really use my loophole. Right. Uh, right, right, right. Because now I really see it's not just for my emotional health, even though it, it can be, it serves a dual purpose, mm -hmm. but that's not the primary function. Like right. really, you know, we're unlocking um, angels to be able to work on our behalf in ways that we may not have otherwise had access to. We're kind of, we're, we're read any jurisdiction that we as like the rulers of this planet, yeah. like we as human beings, the people who were responsible for this place, all of the jurisdiction and influence that we kind of just handed over to the powers of darkness, mm. we can reclaim in the sense that we can hand it over to a better manager in the in God and yeah. be like, okay, we're turning this over to you. So like by our right to this place, 
were submitting to your influence and your control. Mm. And now you have permission, as it were, to do what you need to do. His, his whole plan from the beginning is, well, my ideal is for humans to claim responsibility for this world. Right. So it's now not just, why does God not stop all these bad things from happening? It's like, well, it's, he's trying to put the project back in our hands. Yeah. And so he's not like, we don't learn to ride the bike if he just pushes it the whole time. At some point, he has to kind of take his hands off. Right. And that's not because he lacks power or he lacks control or wisdom or anything, but because he actually wants to. Yeah. And so it is not an infringement on his will or his control because he's like, no, I'm trying to get you to ride the bike or yeah. run the, the planet in and this the case. And the fact that he consults other divine beings within his council, mm-hmm. you know, kind of we know from the Bible that theoretically Moses and and Enoch and Elijah are supposed to be up there and right. some, some other maybe 24 elders that were risen when Christ uh, resurrected. And it's like that he is in council with people and right. that he is also, like you said, in, in those fierce delegating authority, what do you think we should do? Right. At, at least in theory, according to the scenes that we see in the court, like that, that, that would be what God is doing, that he's wanting to uh, bring about salvation in a cooperative effort, not in just this unilateral uh, show of power, but right. he's bringing everyone along with him. And I think it shows, you know, he's a great CEO of a company right. that way, you know. And it's actual leadership. Yeah. Like it's not just outright control, but it's like control by influence and conversation and all of that. And I think that in a way, you know, that's kind of what a lot of traditional Adventists have been trying to get at mm. with the Great Controversy conversation. But for whatever reason, sometimes it just doesn't come across yeah. because it's actually a very appealing picture of God. Maybe not to everybody, but like it's certainly something that is like, oh, I could really get into that. Like, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, I could be really fascinated by following a God who's like that. Yeah. and who relates to the world in that way. Mm. But for whatever reason, and again, this is why reframing things is so important, sometimes it just doesn't come across clearly. Yeah. Um, I, I keep harping on this thing, but man, Psalm 82, it just keeps blowing my mind every time I look at it. It says like, God it uses the divine name, I'm pretty sure, but like God sits in the divine council and he renders judgment among the gods, among the Elohim. Mm. And this was actually that same post we did on I believe recently the the social justice one okay in our like study questions that I I wrote for it I did this whole thing on like the the supernatural realm and angels and demons and the cosmic conflict and one of the questions I asked was kind of just like who in Psalm 82 does God blame mm. for injustice in the world because mm. he points to all of the other like the lesser spiritual beings and he says Mm. to them like how long are you going to hand down like unjust decisions to these humans Mm. essentially like how long are you going to like oppress the weak and the hungry and all of that and he's like oh he's like resting the responsibility for this stuff squarely on their shoulders Mm. and like oh yeah so that whole free will defense and all of that it wasn't just pie in the sky but it's like it's there in the text yeah and at the end of it you know the, I think it concludes, it's like, Arise, O Lord, and judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. Mm. This idea that, like, well, what do you mean inherit? Like, weren't they already his? In a sense, but they'd been, their jurisdiction had been turned over to other mm. powers. And so when God rises up to judge the earth, God inherits. 
Like he gets them all back. Right. And all of our hyperbolic language about God ruling over everything is something that has become true because of what Jesus did in conquering the powers. In Colossians 2, it talks about how he like puts the powers to public shame when he's crucified because he triumphs over them in the cross. And you're just like, oh, wow. Like, there's so much yeah. drama unfolding in this. Like, And to, to be able to be a god of everything, like, of all the nations, mm-hmm. and for his constituents to concede to that, like, for him to, for us to be able to see God as a worthy, good, just ruler, he has to go through this entire process of letting things play out so that mm-hmm. when he does inherit the nations, because when we think about a nation conquering another nation, right. immediately we think, oh, this is unjust, this, mm-hmm. who is this tyrannical power who's coming in to just kind of, uh, uh, you know, colonize. Right. And But for God to say, no, you know, I'm going to bring through a process that when this does happen, you see that, no, I really am just, I really am for the betterment of the nations, yep. I really am uh, here for everyone's good, it's not selfish, right. and that, that it would be worse if this didn't happen. Right. And I love that he just takes everyone through this collective, and that he allows bad decisions to be made sometimes. Right. Because he needs everyone to see, you know, both sides mm-hmm. to say, what's it like when, uh, you know, other powers are in rulership? What is it like when I'm in rulership? Right. And you have that experiential knowledge of like, okay, actually when God's on the throne, it's much better. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. The fact, you know, I, I like that comparison of like when a nation comes and takes over, Yeah. it's like normally this horrible thing. And then God in the person of Jesus steps in and he's like, hi, I'm here to establish my kingdom here. Mm. And my way of doing it is I'm going to let you guys kill me. Mm. And it's just like this total reversal of what you'd expect from like the worldly pattern of how humans relate to each other, which is always this like power over each other and like violence and abuse and so on. And God steps in and he's like, let me show you like the pinnacle of who I am, Mm. which is to like end that cycle and establish a kingdom that's based on something that's completely opposite of that. Wow. Yeah. And so like, again, for me, like this kind of conversation can happen. I think we have conversations like this pretty often in here. And I don't think that a lot of people in church and Sabbath school and whatever get to have that experience of like the Bible coming alive and being like, yo, it's like speaking to my life, like where, and I can see myself as part of the continuation of this story. And so for me, like being able to do like this podcast with you or like what I'm doing with, I believe, I think it's so important that we at least keep trying to have those conversations because it's yeah. so difficult even amongst your friends, you know, like if, if you don't have a friendship group that's used to talking about these things, right. how do you even open up the platform to say, so let's talk about the great controversy, guys, right. like in a way that is organic and that really right. kind of meets that spiritual need to, to really kind of for each person to work through these things in their own mind and talk about them out loud. Yeah. It's pretty special. And like Bible study can be super awkward sometimes. Like yeah. it can straight up just be weird. Yeah, that's um, true. And you have to be patient with the weird ideas that sometimes come through. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. And so that's always, you know, test your patience a little bit. Yeah, by a, by a lot sometimes. <laughs> but I mean, that's I guess that's part of the journey too, right? Right. And that's where like the humility part comes in because I know for me, like there are certain issues Mm-hmm. where like if I see someone like as I would see it get it wrong yeah. I, I can get heated right but like you know you have to have room and like I think there's certain instances where it's just like you know maybe something is harmful but you have to also 
again, look at like how God treated people through some of like the worst parts of the Bible and like the patience he exercises with people. And you're like, okay, I guess that's part of what I'm striving for. So biggest blunder this year. Biggest blunder this year? Biggest blunder this year on my part is the confession. Okay. Oh, oh, I thought you were asking me what my biggest blunder this year was. (laughs) I was about to be like, dang, you're going for the kill here. We're going for the jugular. (laughs) (laughs) On the show, the biggest, the David Ashrick blunder. Oh my gosh. Yes, (laughs) yes, 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 yes. So I... So I think that would have was maybe one of my favorite episodes that we've done. Okay. I didn't even ever finish fully answering that question at the start of the episode. No, we didn't. Okay. NLT interview was really great. Yeah. Um, obviously, I liked watching the one you and Michelle did with Peckham. Yeah. I'm going to say also I really liked um, Dr. Kaiser's thing because anything that's like got to do with like the Trinity. Trinitarianism, like I'm fascinated by and that And you stuff. really carried that conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for letting me. <laughs> I, I was like, man, I'm going to usurp Kendra for a second Please. Here. I know I needed you because I was like, man, okay, Max, say something. <laughs> but that David Asherick interview, that, to, I mean, first of all, it was a good, it was a, great it was a good couple of in- episodes. So. I blundered. That's so <laughs> for those of you who are listening to this or watching this, what you might not know, and this is the most like behind the scenes E that this is probably going to get. Yeah. But essentially we record these in like half hour segments. Yeah. And so we did, <laughs> we recorded a whole half hour ish, maybe more than that session. Oh, yeah. And then we went to go check the cameras or Kendra went to go check the cameras. And she's like, so guys, we weren't recording at all. <laughs> and so I'm just like, bruh, that's nuts. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to shoot the second episode like we would have and just make sure we're actually recording. And then we're going to shoot essentially a third one that's going to be something completely different that we weren't expecting. Mm. It's a shame that that first conversation is just like lost in the ether and then you and David Asherick, like a bunch of weirdos <laughs> that I could not wrap my mind around, essentially recreated the whole first interview from memory with like no notes. And you asked the same questions and gave the same answer. Like, I was just wow. like, are you robots? Like, what? <laughs> how did you remember all of that? Like, that's weird. That's so funny. It was so weird to me. And like, it ended up being like that third session that was like a repeat of the first non-recorded one yeah. was almost the exact same, except it was better. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, what a, what a great moment. I'm so glad I got to be here for that. The Lord redeemed it. It did turn out great. Yeah. So that was, that was a great one from this year for sure. So Max, I don't want to see you go. So hopefully we'll have you on from time to time you know, in the future. Very possible. That's nice. That would be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, like, as you move forward, mm-hmm. what would you like to see coming from Advent Next? What are some things you feel like the church mm-hmm. is still wrestling with, still needing to have just more guidance and, and input on? What are some things that you think? I get to get on my soapbox? Yeah, it's going to oh, be soapbox. Okay. <laughs> so there's this music issue in our church. Okay. And I think... So the the episode you just did recently um, about the theology of beauty, yeah, I thought I mean, I've only listened to some of the, the promo clips. I haven't had a chance to go through the whole thing yet. Yeah. But like even just like the little bit there, I'm just like, yeah, this is relevant conversation that we're not really touching very much. Okay, and there's been this ongoing worship and music debate, and I I, I try to use both of those words because some people are like, oh, it's a worship debate. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not just about corporate worship. It's not just about like what are the songs we sing when we get together or 
how do we structure worship or any of that. Yeah. But it's also, I want to be able to control what everyone is listening to on their own time when they go home. And I want to create a worldview that brackets certain things out and defines other things in as acceptable. And to me, it's been going, one, it's been going on for way longer than this discussion ever deserved to be going on. Mm. Two, that happened because like gross misinformation has been kind of normative in this conversation. Mm. Um, a lot of pastors who just straight up aren't really qualified or capable musicians are leading the charge on a lot of this and of a handful of speakers who maybe are musicians of some stripe um, who speak on this they're not very theologically minded at all okay so you never really get like the the beautiful combination of like the the musician theologian who can be equally capable in both realms and is like actively involved in the in the act of creating mm. and like contributing to the actual artistic life of the church. Yeah. You know, you don't I have not seen very many people of that particular flavor engaging in this conversation. Mm. Mostly because I think the people who are actually like capable capable musicians, the people who are really creative and musically minded yeah. are too busy being a creative and like making music happen on a week to week basis or on an album to album basis to be involved in like squabbles, which yeah. is what it comes down to. Um, you know, reading um, Dr. Lillian Dukan's book in tune with God, it was, I would say pretty good. It was helpful in many respects. It did some dispelling of certain popular myths, but it's already like, you know, there's one chapter that has like an excursus on rock music. And I was like, Hmm, yeah, I guess that uh, leaves it to someone else to do the excursus on vaporwave or gent or trap step or like dubstep or like chill wave or like modern alternative R&B. Like the, the conversation has moved on so far. Right. And like, you know, the influence of hip hop within gospel music, like it, the, the conversation is never ending. Yeah. And I don't think people are keeping up with it in a way that is competent. Mm. And so you know, obviously I have a very, I have what I would call like an artistically minded view of this topic yeah. where I think like we need to think about it from the point of view of making music. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I get really bothered by is when I see pastors and theologians writing these like armchair speculative think pieces about worship. And I'm like, listen, buddy, where are your songs? Hmm. Because if you think these new worship songs are so bad, why have you provided exactly zero good counterexamples of good songwriting? Yeah. I know you like the hymns, but like if you're not musically capable enough to rearrange them in a way that sounds good or sounds you know, meaningful for a new generation. It doesn't even have to be like some crazy like club sounding dance song, but just like modernize the melody or something. Right. If you can't do that, then where's your poetry? Where are your, where are your hymns in text form that your musical peers can put to notes yeah. for us to sing? Then to actually do the work that would give the life of the church something to stand on, something to participate in. Yeah. I think you have a good, you know, talked to me about this before, but I think it'd be good for our viewers to hear, like, you have a very missional mindset when it comes to music. And, you know, you're a musician and, and you do 
is it metal? What is it called? Yeah, I'm all of, so my band, we kind of are like a mix of musicians from different genres. And so it ends up being very genre bending. I typically say progressive rock because that seems to make the most sense. The harmonies are kind of jazz and gospel based, but then like the sound is more like hard rock and metal based. And anyways, all of that being to say, like, I think that like a multiplicity of flavors and sounds and cultures coming together can make something really beautiful yeah. in a way. I think that that's what the church is supposed to be anyways. Right. So the fact that my band is all Christians of different theological flavors, I think, yeah. is an expression of that, that we come together, we make something yeah. that like paints a bigger picture of what God is doing for everybody. Yeah. And, and you're trying to reach a certain demographic that has a certain taste in music. Yeah. Everyone's going to have a different kind of preference to what they listen to. And so you're like, who's making impactful music for this demographic? And to say it's off limits really kind of, you know, keeps us from being in a certain kind of musical mission field in that kind of way. Right. And I think that one of the problems we have is that we we use our really arbitrary definitions of like artistic ethics, if you can even call it right. something as sophisticated as that, to essentially define ourselves out of certain spaces, out of certain communities. There is a need for us to be a little bolder about actually getting to where people are mm. and like acting, not acting, not pretending, but like actually being members of society mm. who can relate to people on a person-to-person -person level. It's not even, for me, it's almost not even about like writing music that like carefully explains fundamental belief number whatever, yeah. but it's like being an authentic, like genuine Christian living out my faith in the context of this rock music community, this hip hop community, this whatever you happen to be in and just being in spaces with people and being on a journey with them together. Right. Um, people, you know, I've recently had interactions with people like at, shows like at metal shows where like my band's the softest band mm. and talking to people who are people of faith but don't necessarily have a believing community around them to rally around their faith journey yeah. and it's because so many christians not just adventists just exclude ourselves from places where we would be surprised we shouldn't be surprised but lo and behold there's other believers here who are still like following after God and wanting that companionship. Yeah. And I think that it's a shame and it's honestly maybe even a little bit of neglect on our part that we don't go to where this kind of stuff is happening. So that's that's just me. And that's and, and to not judge a book by its cover, you have some very interesting t-shirts and I, I love them <laughs> because people make the assumption that this is secular or this is some kind of, you know, death worship. But really it, it's taking, uh, you know, scriptural based fundamental kind of principles and mm -hmm. like bringing them into an artistic expression. Right. And for us to be open enough to really have those eyes to see, to not judge art uh, always in, in this black and white type of way and to leave right. room for people to have their own type of, uh, you know, artistic expression. Yeah. yeah. I think that there's room to say like we can incarnationally, what a buzzword, <laughs> incarnationally take a certain visual language yeah. and express the gospel in that. Yeah. And I think, you know, some people might think, well, that's just corny or that's just cheesy. But again, if you have an appreciation for a certain culture or art form or whatever, you can genuinely express it and also be a believer. Mm. And I think that there's, there's a bit of a gap in how much room we allow for that as Adventists especially. So wow. I think that there's, uh, there's growth for us to do. Mm. And I would love at some point to see more of this conversation continue 
on this platform sh- on this show. And you tastefully picked the colors for today. I did. Yeah. Morose as morose can be. And I think it's very <laughs> fitting for our conversation and just uh, I-, I love what you bring in the energy and the perspectives that you've. Thank you know you. that we've had off camera, but also on camera. Mm-hmm. And so you're definitely going to be missed. I'm going to miss this too. So continue to follow Max on I Believe Bible, but you can also f- check him out uh, on Reframe coming up soon. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're so glad to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening in. Once again, it has been an incredible year for me and for this show. I'm so thankful to all of you who have been taking the time to be faithful followers and listeners of the show. Thanks again to the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible. If you have any questions or comments about today's program, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at AdventNext. If you have any suggestions about topics that we should explore for the future, please direct message us on either of those platforms. It's been a blast. See you next time.